Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today on this episode, I want to talk a bit about, well, a, kind of a high concept idea. The idea being muscle confusion and the DM mind. Um, what I mean by that is uh, I want to talk about how shaking things up in terms of the types of games we play can actually benefit all types of games we play, you know, um, I recently had um, an uh, experience where in, in the same weekend I ran uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm sorry, I didn't run Pathfinder. That, that didn't happen this weekend. I ran Starfinder uh, this weekend, which is a pretty crunch-heavy game and is a fairly simulationist game. Uh, and I also ran a game called City of Mist by uh, Son of Oak Game Studios, which is a very narrative or story-focused uh, game with a very, very different approach to uh, to how you run the game. And I, uh, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed City Mist and will uh, intend to get it back to the table as soon as I can. Uh, and and actually, uh, it's one of the, it's a game that I definitely would consider running a long going, an ongoing campaign with because it, the, there's a lot of great stuff with it. But more to the point um, of this episode, I, I found something happen in today's, Starfinder session that I'm not sure I I would have necessarily been live to uh, before. I could very well have, you know, like maybe this is just my own, me recognizing my sensibilities, but I had something happen where we had a really, really interesting story kind of focused resolution to a, effectively a dungeon crawl. We had a, a two session dungeon crawl that was involved going through a crashed starship and Anyway, and then that around this time as well too, I'm into my third week of returning to the P90X uh, fitness program. It's this uh, kind of home training, high intensity uh, uh, workout thing where it, it uh, embraces or adopts this approach uh, called muscle confusion, where you you know do three three weeks of effectively the same routine and changing it up every day between different things you're doing, and then it changes it up by the second month, and then you change it up again by the third month. The, the idea being that you don't give your muscles a chance to really kind of get used to or get, get into the routine of things in order to get the, the best uh, results from it. And the two things, obviously, were floating around in the stew that is my brain at the same time, and that got me thinking about that that's the way to potentially articulate the lessons that I might have learned from this weekend's games. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about uh, those those two games, kind of what I drew from those experiences, and then I think what lessons we might draw from uh, from those things going forward. I say we as in you, gentle listeners, with uh, me, but in the point me, I mean, I, I, I can have only control over myself, and I, I definitely have some lessons that I'll be learning or taken away, I should say, from uh, from this particular uh, outing. So let's get to the episode. So the first game that got me thinking about this was the, or the, the game that sort of uh, prompted what I think was the, the interesting development in today's session was City of Mist. And for those who aren't familiar, City of Mist is this um, story-focused game that is based on the uh, the idea that um, you know there is this city, and within the city there are embodiments of different mythological or you know folklore or um, parts of the zeitgeist or the popular culture that have m manifested for some reason uh, within certain living beings. And uh, the characters you play in that are a combination of those two kind of things. You have one foot in the mundane world and one foot in the 
um, in the Mythic. And it is, uh, it reminds me an awful lot of, like, say, uh, Matt Wagner's uh, Mage, uh, well, there's three different series of Mage, but Mage, um, the, or is it Mage Hero, Mage, um, I can't remember what the, the sequel was called, um, but anyway, the, um, the Mage series by, by uh, Matt Wagner, the first one and the second one, and, oh, it's the, the Hero, oh gosh, Hero something, and then Hero Defined, uh, and then, I can't remember what the third one is, um, but anyway, it, the, that series, it features, you know, kind of, uh, characters who are modern incarnations of classic archetypes, there's massive series of, uh, young adult, uh, literature that's sort of in this vein as well, too, of kind of modern interpretations of things, and my buddy Chad, uh, Ginther actually has a really cool, uh, series of novels, a trilogy, uh, called the Thunder Road Trilogy, uh, the first of which is called Thunder Road, um, and that one is, is about, um, kind of Norse myths, uh, come made flesh in, um, in, uh, central Canada, in, uh, Winnipeg, uh, my hometown. So, like, it, it's a definitely, there's, it's a well-worn trope, but the, the interesting spin on this, for this game, is that, uh, it's also a film noir game, so it's a game of mysteries and mystery solving and whatnot, so, like, and conspiracy, and so it's a really very cool combination of a lot of stuff I really love, urban fantasy, and uh, mysteries, and horror to a degree, if you want to incorporate that stuff, and um, yeah, mythology, uh, you know, and, and I love that, I mean, I, I, it's, the, the total package is something I really enjoy, the game itself is gorgeous, is absolutely gorgeous, it has this really like the art may not be for everyone. Um, it's it's uh, very it's line art uh, that is so it's, it's kind of like um, really beautiful uh, comic art too, kind of in the sense that it's you know it's line art with uh, pencil presumably pencil and ink with colors added afterwards. But man, is it it's beautiful. It's evocative. It is a, a gorgeous uh, yeah. It's a gorgeous um, uh, product, but. Um, the thing that's a, that I found really interesting about it is that about that particular game. There's lots of other games that have good concepts that I don't necessarily fully embrace. Uh, like the, the Dresden Files uh, RPG, I just have not... I mean, I haven't owned it for very long, but I have not got into it. It is a game powered by the Fate uh, engine, and I just never really got into Fate. I found it hard... I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I found it was hard to embrace it. In the same way that some other story-focused games like Powered by the Apocalypse... Oh, sorry, about Apocalypse World or other Powered by the Apocalypse games like Masks, The Next Generation. I had a hard time kind of figuring out how that's actually going to play at the table uh, from for me running that game, not necessarily as a player, but as a, as a DM uh, or Game Master or whatever you call it. Um, and it's interesting, in, in uh, when I ran uh, City of Mist this weekend too, I actually referred to myself as the proper name. Normally I default to DM just because that's everyone knows what I mean by that. Um... But in that one, it's actually called a Master Ceremonies and uh, the MC, and I actually made a point of making that distinction. I do, I've done that in the past with uh, Marvel superheroes, actually, as well, too, where it's the judge, not the DM. But in any event, because I think the, the nomenclature is important for these things because it, it is a different type of game. So um, another game that I did actually grok a bit, uh, or not, not a bit, quite a bit, was um, uh, John Harper's Blades in the Dark which is a really uh, cool... It's not quite Powered by the Apocalypse. It's its own engine uh, that has subsequently given birth to a bunch of other games, which are called Forged in the Dark games, one of which is um, Band of Blades, this 
kind of dark fantasy military uh, game. And I, I've run that once with not a lot of success. I've run Blades in the Dark before with some success, but I always ran into a challenge of... Uh, well, I think in retrospect, so a lot of these games, a lot of the, the Power by the Apocalypse games, there's, there's a couple... I mean, sorry, not just Power by the Apocalypse, but a lot of these story games... For those who are unfamiliar with them, what the goal of the game is not really to simulate a abstracted version of reality, you know, quote unquote reality. What they are is it's a these games are conversations to discover what the story is, and it sounds uh, if that sounds very flaky, then please bear with me. It's not it's, it's not quite that flaky. There's in in each of these games there is definitely a game there as well. Too, there's things you can kind of. Uh, interesting mechanical decisions you can make to to weigh choices, but they all relate back to the games. But the problem I've had with some of these games, I think in the past, in retrospect, why I have not had a great deal of, I've just had a, a hard time uh, keeping them running at the table, is that a lot of them r run uh, off of what are called playbooks. So you pick these playbooks, which are kind of like uh, default archetypes with special abilities on them, and then you fill in some dots, you know, and then you, you get to playing. And then you've got some set things you can do in, in certain games like uh, Dungeon World and Apocalypse World and uh, Masks. They call them moves, and they do the same thing in this. Um, but it's generally from a kind of a, a list of things. And uh, like Blades in the Dark works a, a fairly similar to that, uh, though it's a different dice mechanic. And I, um, I just had a really hard time wrapping my head around like, well, you, if you're only going back to these these only list of four things, and it's going to be kind of how does that not get stale? You know, like it's great that you're you're doing a lot of heavy role playing stuff, and in some ways there are non dice mechanic things that that you know that are like powers that you can do uh, that you don't need to make a roll for uh, that just um, you know that that don't interact with the the dice mechanics. But I, I was having a hard time figuring out how to keep, in particular in combat, you know, uh, how to keep the game, an actual game, and not degenerate into just kind of meaningless tossing dice and then just making up shit on the fly. And I mean, I get that that's, you know, in many ways what role-playing is in general, but I've had a hard time wrapping my head around that particular thing, because it's really those types of games, you're rolling a handful of D6s, or or in um, Apocalypse World's case, and in City Mist, 2D6, and then you add some modifiers, and then you look and see, if you roll a 6 or under, you fail, 7 to 9, you succeed with cost, and then um, 10 or higher, you succeed fully. And uh, that's, in general, how, how they measure things for the different moves. And um, I don't know. I mean, like, I just... I couldn't wrap my head around how most of these games were supposed to actually play at the table. And then I got... Um, I had seen City of Mists, and I'd read about City of Mists, and, and then it wasn't until the Modifius had a sale that I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll go, I'll, you know, pick it up. I, I knew that I had had some trouble with the uh, other story games. And in fairness, I guess I hadn't ever run an Apocalypse World game. I just read them. But, um, oh, and um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Monster of the Week is another one that's a Power by the Apocalypse. So I uh, I picked it up uh, on on basically a kind of a whim because it, like, it looked cool and I liked the concept and I had some... There was a sale on at Modifius, which was uh, uh, publishing the game on behalf of uh, Son of Oak, from what I understand. And uh, I had some gift certificates to cash in. So I figured, fuck it, I'll pick it up and I'll, you know, if it, give it a go once. And 
as soon as I started reading it, it just completely sucked me in. And the, and the reason is because rather than going to a playlist or pl- playbook and then kind of filling stuff out and filling and then making up, uh, what you do is you make your character based on um, different themes. Each character is based on four different themes. And at least one of those has to come from a mythic, and at least one has to come from the um, the mundane. And of those things, uh, you do pick from from a, a theme book, which is kind of like a playbook. But there's a great deal more freedom in, in defining the the kind of like they call them power tags, but it's kind of you can think of them as like you know keywords that will define what you know whether certain aspects of your character's you know, competency will come into play for different roles. So rather than like looking at the list and f- counting how many dice you have for whatever, for whatever the, the number is, uh, or whatever the ability is in, or skill in the case of uh, Forge in the Dark games, what you do is you're going to roll 2d6 and, and add uh, modifiers, but you look and see how many of your power tags would apply to that. And the power tags also will influence what you can, uh, you know, what in the fiction you can do without dice rolls too. So like, for instance, if you've got a character, one of the sample characters is a character called Salamander, and he is a uh, an embodiment of he's a crime fighter, and he's also a embodiment of like a f- salamander, a fiery serpent from uh, mythology. And one of his abilities is uh, tendrils of plasma, and you know, I mean, so like this is a character who he could easily, you know, like light fires if you wanted to, or if you've got you're describing a scene, you. Um, you know, it, and you're going to describe in that that he's making use of his fiery tendrils to, to whack people or, uh, you know, to uh, capture people or whatnot or ca- uh, catch and drag, then obviously that would apply to that role. And then you would, and similarly, you define all the different tags in that similar way. So I, there are plenty of suggestions and there are key questions for each of the theme books to help you figure out what that question would be. And, and they are, they're both v- really helpful for guiding that process, which can obviously, I mean, you know, it, it could be very, very daunting to have such an open-ended thing to just make up stuff on the, you know, come to pull stuff, a whole cloth out of the air or out of your mind. Um, what the, um, what it does is it gives you a series of questions, quite a few questions for each theme, and that helps you define what your starting tags are for each theme. And then you combine those themes to make up your character. And then those can change over time and, and whatever. And for whatever reason, that just appealed to me a great deal more than the playbooks did uh, for, for the other Power by the Apocalypse games. It just, it seemed like a, a, you had a lot more freedom and creativity in creating your character. And also I had a much easier time understanding what that was going to look like at the table. And in addition, from what I understand, this is something stolen from, uh, or not stolen, but like inspired by, I guess, by the fate system, is the idea of creating statuses and tags. So things that kind of are at play in certain scenes or that are affecting the characters. And that's kind of, like, that's how you model things that will have a mechanical impact that are present in the story. So things like, you know, if it's a rainy, uh, if it's a rainy day, you know, uh, then you put that down as a tag, and then that could apply to certain roles, and it could not apply. You know, if your character manipulates storm and weather, then maybe that's going to be helpful. If your character is trying to spot someone in the pouring rain, that might be a, a hindering one. And similarly, like uh, effects on your characters, like demoralization, or you know, being hunted by someone, or being injured, 
all of those things count as statuses as well. And then there's, the game has ways of, of addressing statuses and dealing with them too. And a lot of that is part of the conversation that the game is. Uh, City of Mist really, really emphasizes that the game is a conversation, but it's still, to, to my mind, it still definitely feels like a game. Like there's solidly a game there. Uh, it's not just... I don't know. I mean, it, it, it feels much more like a game where you're making a character, you have a lot of narrative input uh, or creative input into creating that character, and, and in, in addition, how that character plays at the table. But there's a bit... It feels like there's a bit more of a firm connection for what the MC's role is as the person running the game than... And it's, it's a little heavier of a hand than I think what it seemed to be in other Apocalypse World games. And I like that because, I mean, I... I um, I don't know. I mean, like that's just it's it's much more in my comfort zone than um, those other games. So it's easier for me to get excited about and, and see what I would be doing with that game at the table. Um, in addition, for whatever reason, the 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 combat in that it was easier for me to figure out what that looks like, like how, in, in terms of what decisions characters can make in violent scenes uh, than what I've I've had in others, you know, and. I think a part of it, because I had recently run um, Star Trek Adventures, that that may have been of uh, of assistance for me, uh, because it uh, it uses something similar where there's tags or themes that that are present in the uh, in the game that uh, have mechanical effect on the story as you go along. So anyway, that's what led me to to kind of pick up the game and then. After I read it, I got very excited about uh, running it, and then this this week's been a bit of a, a rocky week. It's been very busy, and it's just very frustrating in many ways uh, in the day job, and um, I have to be out of town this week, so I, I was really, that was weighing on my mind, and I didn't feel like running the regular Barrel Maze game, so as a break, I decided to dive free, you know, uh, feet first into the uh, City of Mist, and I, uh, you know, two hours before our session, I threw together uh, versions of our Barrow Maze characters uh, in uh, in that, and it was really, really fun, you know? I mean, like, um, of the people who played, uh, one is distinctly not a fan of the kind of Apocalypse World story-focused games, and that's that's completely, completely fair. Like, it's just, the game is, it's a very, very different approach. Like, the way that it's a different approach to playing a game and experiencing the kind of collective story that that happens when we play than what a traditional role-playing game is, like a, a simulationist role-playing game. And the difference seems to be, if you're not familiar and you haven't given any of these games a try, the one of the main differences is is we're not you're not thinking like your character necessarily. You're thinking more like a narrator. So you you know you're not. Uh, like, let's say you're trying to uncover things, you know, uh, you're trying to uncover information in a game like Call of Cthulhu, what you'd be doing is going out and making dice rolls and going in a room and, you know, making a spot check or going to a library and making a research roll, but you're describing the very, very specific details of how you're going through all that stuff. In a story game, what you're doing, or at least in, in City of Mist, uh, what you're doing is you're describing what your intent is. We figure out what the, what move would apply. Moves are, can best be thought of as ways of resolving that action through game mechanics moved through me for a long time i couldn't i just could not wrap my head around the the that nomenclature it just it seemed 
I don't know. I just, it just, it seems silly to me. Like I, I don't, I didn't quite understand why, to be honest, I still don't understand why. So someone could, edi- you know, edify me as to why they, they're called moves, but, but anyway, there's that. And, um, maybe it's because it moves the story along. I have no idea, but anyway, um, the moves are what you look at, look to, to try and figure out how to resolve that. And the, you pick a move, unless in this case, if we're trying to uncover information, it would be investigate. We figure out what power tags would apply we then make the roll, and that could be things like bookworm. You know, if your character's got a bookworm tag, or you know, friends at the library, or I don't know what, uh, or um, what do you call it? Uh, people in city administration. Let's uh, you know, part of the city administration. Let's say that's one of your tags. Well, then you may be able to call. We could decide that that's you know some people work at the library. He'll give you access to special books, so that would be a way of of adding to it. So then, what you do? Uh, and, and even then, I'm, I'm already thinking too specific. Anything that might help you gather this information, we then make the role. We see what the result of the role is. And then that dictates what's happening in the story. Then we go back and talk about what's actually happened. And in the investigate in this game is where you unveil clues. And then depending on how many power tags apply, that determines, and how your dice roll went, that determines how many clues you get access to. And then also what potentially else happens in the story. And that's where the, the DM, or the uh, MC, I should say, gets to then interact with the um, uh, with the the story and add things in that might make things more challenging. In the same way that like you would interpret a, uh, a critical fumble, right? Like DMs would, would inter- uh, extrapolate that stuff, or if you're not using just flat bonuses for, for critical effects, it's you interpreting what that is. So... It's very much what we do anyway, just it's codified in a specific move. So my dog's losing her mind at someone outside right now. Um, so that's the game. I mean, that's that's what the game was. We sat down. Uh, one player who is not a huge fan of, of the Power by the Apocalypse or story-focused kind of games, he said he still had a good time. He enjoyed it. He would play it again, but it's not his, you know, first go-to game. Um, but we had the, by the contrast, we had one player who said, I want to only play this, you know, um, myself, I'm kind of, it was interesting seeing those reactions, uh, because the, um, the, I, I was sort of like, I, I really, really enjoyed it and I really wanted to run it again, but it, you know, it's not the only kind of game I want to run one sec here. Um, so again, it's not the only game I'd want to run, uh, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. And there were so many good ideas in that game for things like structuring how you unveil the, the mystery, you know, how you plan a mystery adventure. Uh, and the way they, they suggest is, is to think of it like an iceberg. There's a thing on top, the tip on top that you see, which is the sort of entry point to the mystery. And then as you work your way deeper down, you are pulled more and more into the mystery until you finally reach the tip at the bottom, which resolves the mystery. And it's just a good mental construct to kind of think of how you want to structure your, your passage through the mystery. And it's very loose as well too. So it still feels like a sandboxy kind of thing at the table. But as you're going through this stuff, you know, interesting things are happening with the dice results and with what the players choose to do. And it's just, it's very, yeah, it's really, really good. It was, it was a really, really great experience. I can't wait to run it again. And then uh, this weekend, I, I unfortunately had to cancel my Pathfinder game from this weekend because I wasn't able to, I had to get my fucking oil changed. Uh, but I, uh, today, got to run uh, Starfinder. And I was honestly, I don't know, it was a little trepidatious. It's like, well, you know, I'm really feeling this 
City Mist game, I, I've really, I really, really loved the uh, the experience with it. And I, I'd been, I spent uh, when I got back, I spent all the time at the dealership, and then when I got back, re finishing reading the uh, the books, and I uh, I couldn't wait to run the game. So it was sort of back in my mind again. And I was going to be, uh, unfortunately, it didn't it fell through? But I was going to be running a quick little mystery for my son to introduce the game to him as well. Uh, unfortunately, got wrapped up with uh, working on a friend's car, so he couldn't play it. But um, then today comes, and we have Starfinder. And we, uh, where we had last left our heroes in Starfinder was as um, they were exploring a, basically it was a dungeon crawl. I don't know why I'm trying to church it up here, but it's a dungeon crawl in a ruined starship, you know, and uh, it's got a definite horror tinge to it. But what happened in the course of the second session, so we, uh, we play three-hour sessions, two hours of which were spent, for the most part, Kind of like, you know, uh, fighting robots, getting the gang back together. One guy had been uh, kind of kidnapped by these robots. They fought some robots. They dealt with this, like, nameless, you know, uh, or faceless voice on the other end of a uh, speaker. And then we took our break and we came back. And the as a result of one critical hit on the uh, on this dice roll... And again, like for those who are unfamiliar with uh, Starfinder, and forgive me if I'm repeating stuff you already know, it's a D20 game. It's it's very much like D&D, &D, just it's in you know it's in space. You know, it's it's uh, you roll a dice, you add a number, and then if you roll higher than a difficulty class, you get a success. If you roll a nat twenty, it's a critical hit. If you roll a nat one, it's a critical fumble. That's that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of uh, fancy other stuff. There's there's things your characters can do like spells and guns and you know other crazy stuff, but. Dice mechanic-wise, the way that the rules uh, resolve is is that simple. Roll a d20, add a modifier, beat the target number. So we got a critical hit, and I started thinking about how to resolve this thing because what what I had I had some, you know the way I approached this this particular session was intentionally really really vague. I had some rough ideas of, of um, elements I wanted to have happen over the course of the exploration to really give the guys the feel of that dungeon crawl thing, but I wasn't about to you know, make a, a map, and then if they did come across this stuff, it, it would trigger or not. I've heard this described as a quantum ogre before, but I find that term a little... Unless you're really ensconced in uh, certain schools of, of uh, OSR thought, it's not it's not a really widely recognized term, or at least it's not something that uh, I think is... It's, it's intuitive enough, I guess, if you think of it, but what a quantum ogre means is that, like, all roads lead to that specific encounter. So that's the um, that's sort of the approach I took on this was that you know uh, these one way or another these characters were going to encounter the stuff and I wasn't making them slog through massive you know uh, sprawling maps I just wanted to give them a nice taste of a dungeon crawl experience with uh, pit traps and you know random monsters and stuff like that wandering around in the dark and um, then so they they you know that twenty they were they were scavenging these robots and. What that prompted, what became the way to resolve this whole thing, um, what I knew was that the sort of the big bad behind this, I was leading up for the guys to think there was going to be this kind of like crazy body horror thing, kind of like cybernetics meets the uh, Cenobites from Hellraiser, you know, kind of uh, thing. But my, my surprise twist was going to be that it's a ghost. You know, it's, a, it's the ghost of the spirit who's just very lonely, you know, like that it was the lone survivor... <laughs> of the crew, and then it cannot... At the time, I, that's all I really knew about it, and I, I trusted that I would... You know, the story itself would unfold as the characters played through, and I'd figure out what I wanted to do 
or how it should play out at the, uh, you know, once the players got involved in that scene. And then what ended up happening is they, the guys gave me a really great opening where they broke open the, you know, these, these robots and they said, well, is there a way of connecting the, um, you know, connecting this thing up with other networks? And what I ended up kind of improvising was that this pain worshiping, you know, uh, ghost had made alterations to all of these uh, drones to create kind of like a congregation for them, you know, like to, so that they, they would have the same pain sharing cybernetic units that members of the church did. I described how they would, um, and trigger warning here, if you don't like gore and, and pain, you know, torture stuff, skip ahead maybe a minute uh, or maybe two minutes. Um, but what it was, was they would have these cybernetic implants where um, they would share, like they would uh, all share uh, the kind of physical experiences and then would conduct surgery on each other without, um, what do you call it, without uh, an implant more cybernetics, without painkillers. So they would all emphasize and share each, in each other's, ex ex you know, ecstatic kind of pain stuff. And um, I'd been building up this whole idea of, of who this guy was going to be. Uh, I'm sure they were expecting some big terrifying, you know, I, I really don't know, but I mean, some like pain demon kind of thing. And um, then one of my players, so they, they came up with that idea and they were going to use their, some of their powers in, in, in inventive ways to kind of like try and create, one guy could um, mentally tap into computers, one guy could mentally link other people and transfer information, and one guy um, had recent, you know, terrific memories of this goofy element from Starfinder that we introduced, uh, which was this basically like a tortle or tortoise man uh, wizard. And he, the character loved this character. So we used um, painkillers to basically get the guy high, think about the, and watch shows of this amazing zips up the, uh, the slow motion close up magician. And then the positive feelings he was getting from that one guy would feed it to the guy who could link with computers and the guy with computers would then link it through this network. Thanks to the help of the guy who could hack things. And, I sort of threw in that the, the, the guy who was hacked and he was feeling this connection because of the powerful psychic, you know, kind of spillover from this. And he gave this really great description of his character's backstory uh, of like, you know, a happy time for him when this crew that had subsequently, you know, some had died and, and had fallen apart and whatnot. But this time when they had this really happy time together and that gave me the thing I needed. I was like, oh, there, that's, you put down something that I can use. This is a guy who worships pain, but, uh, and finds, ex you know, ecstasy and whatever else and, and enlightenment. But the one pain that he cannot live with is the pain of loneliness because all of those people who he had shared that stuff with, they're all dead and long dead and passed on. And he's the only one left and he's created these things. So we had this really cool scene where there was like this psychic landscape where they, you know, um, they talked to this guy. They talked to him and told him that he needed to go on. And then I actually forgot about this. I wish I could take credit for it. But one of the players happens also to be a priest of the God of Grace, like the God of Death. So he was able to step in and, and kind of talk this thing, which had initially appeared as this monstrous pain demon thing, which was just a guy, a lonely spirit, right? Albeit with some really weird or at least unconventional um, religious beliefs. But they help this thing move on. And um, one of my players told me afterwards is like, wow, you know, it really, it was really, you know, they really enjoyed it. But it said it, it, it really felt like a Doctor Who episode. And that's what Doctor Who is kind of about, is, is resolving things through 
understanding and compassion and dialogue. And um, I mean, the the Doctor Who role-playing game, which I'll talk about in uh, months to come, because I do have that on my list to run as well, but it, it also emphasizes that thing because talking is always the first thing you can do. In, in, uh, in encounters, you can talk first, then you can run, then you can do something with, like with gadgets, and then you can shoot or fight. So fighting is always last. You always get to do those other things beforehand. But it just, you know, I mean, it. it um, I honestly don't know whether I may have, have uh, been live to that and not just, you know, a uh, having it being a really fun um, combat encounter where they finally encounter the lair where they, uh, you know, they discover that this guy's in a cryopod and have full of cybernetics and he's linked into the ship and that's why they're, you know, this thing is haunted, uh, is that this, you know, spiritual whatever, like, um, you know, um, echo of this person is still there and, and causing problems and they'd fight it as a ghost. Instead of that, we had this way more interesting resolution, which was just the guys, you know, talking through the stuff. And it was a, there's lots of, I, I, th- I feel like it was, you know, um, one of the better sessions we've had. We've had a lot of really good sessions with uh, Starfinder, but I mean, it just was really, really good and, and memorable, you know? Like, I, I can't remember having done something like that in um, in a lot of sessions, certainly not with Starfinder, you know, because it's such a, um, it is such a simulationist game that it is pretty clear, usually on the character sheet, where what you can and cannot do. And because uh, Paizo, you know, is very live to the um, the like quote unquote abuse of powers and, and abilities that they do balance their stuff pretty well. So it's clear what it can and abilities can and cannot do. But this was just, man, it was so good. You know, it had that old school kind of like making creative use of, of great powers. It had this very story focused thing where all we did was talk to, we didn't roll dice. Didn't roll dice to try and dictate whether they were successful in convincing this thing or not. And maybe I should have been, I should have given some mechanical structure, but it really didn't feel like it needed it. You know, the players all seemed really engaged. They had things to say. Although we had one player who was, who admittedly at the start of the session said he was really tired. And um, he said that he just couldn't think of how to role play it. So we sort of just, you know, I found a way around that and just said, just said that, well, does this sound like this would, you know, happen? And, uh, and then that was fine, and we, we we were able to let that character have a meaningful moment without requiring the player to come up with a whole bunch of dialogue that he did not expect to, you know, to deal with. Uh, nor when he was as tired as he was, because at the time we were playing, it was like ten o'clock Sunday night, um, his time. But but anyways, I you know I I don't think if I had not run that game, uh, City Master re- before that, I don't know if I would have thought to. to let the story just go that way, that this would be a, a way to resolve this without, you know, feeling guilty about not running the game as written, you know, that, that, that you can't point to something in the Starfinder rulebook that tells you how to do this. Um, instead, we just sort of, yeah, we just sort of let the story unfold with the players adding to it and, and shaping it, and then me, you know, um, responding to what they're doing. It was great. We're like, what a really, really fun and different way of resolving. And again, like it's not to say that that's the way I would resolve every scene, but it was a, it was really useful to have those skills and that I, those ideas in my back pocket when I, you know, when we ran that session. Uh, so that, in, and also in keeping with the relentless grind of doing P90X for, uh, for the next three months or two more months now, um, it got me thinking about, like, you know, this is maybe 
one of the values you get, uh, not maybe, but for myself, this is something where I can point to me forcing myself outside of my comfort zone and running something with a completely different approach than what I normally run has yielded distinct benefits for me in other games. You know, um, in the same way that like my thought and relentless uh, attention to like mechanics in these more uh, simulationist type games, um, I, you know, one of the first things I like doing in these games is really drilling down and making sure I understand the core mechanic and then how the game kind of goes is built out from there. Um, because I like to improvise stuff and I like to change stuff on the fly. So I, I like to have a solid understanding of what the underpinning uh, rules are. But man, oh man, like it um, it was great. And I, and I think that running Star Trek was one of the Star Trek adventures from Odiphius uh, is one of the reasons why I was primed for this type of game. Now, I, um, I am still curious hmm, to, to take another step further masks the next generation and uh monster of the week have both really intrigued me in terms of their concepts but i've i've steered clear of them only because i just don't know you know i don't know if i could run a um a power by the apocalypse game well same thing with uh, band of blades I, I ran band of blades uh in when i was in the the uh, beta and i loved it like i really really loved it and I don't feel I did a very good job of uh, helping the players understand how they were going to interact with that game. But I think I might have a way of doing that now, you know? I'm not going to do it until I get a chance to run more of City of Mist because I don't want to confuse the games. I want to make sure I keep this one in. But I guess, you know, one final thing I'll, I'll say about these story games too that I find is interesting is that um, so the, this for games that, that are purported to be really story-based and, and whatever... Um, there are fans of those games, and I judge this only on comments that I've received on my channel when I've run them. Fans of those games sure have a strong fucking opinion as to how it's supposed to be run. It's, which is crazy. Like, you know, the only, the people who are the fan bases that I feel are the most dogmatic about like a quote unquote capital R right way to run the games and wrong ways to run the games are fans of some of these story-based games and Pathfinder First Edition fans, you know, where there's like a, oh, and actually, and Hero System games. Hero System fans are equally uh, like that too. They, they, they have a very clear idea of how the game is supposed to be run. That's not all Hero fans. Uh, and to be honest, not the, like the people who I have made friends with over the course of having, of running the channel, but randos who have posted about, you know, things that they say I've done wrong, where <laughs> the contemplation isn't that, look, I don't care. I'm not running it that way because I don't care for the purpose of, of you know, the experience at the table. It doesn't matter to me. But anyway, that's a weird thing. And it, But I'm intentionally not keeping myself, you know, married to the game. Uh, if I'm going to change some things or, you know, do things that aren't expressly set out in the rule book, that's, I'm going to, I mean, that that is, in my mind, absolutely in the spirit of the, um, of the game. But anyway, um, that's, I'm more griping about my, you know, uh, past experience with uh, the fan base of uh, some of these games but the yeah i mean uh, man oh man um if you have not checked out uh city of mist uh, before and it's the i've you know made this sound interesting at all there is a free starter set you can get from uh, drive through rpg and uh, also a different starter set you can get from son of oak if you go to cityofmist.co.co you can find uh and download the starter set there as well um it's I, I really, really enjoyed it, and it was very, um, 
yeah, it was it was good to get my mind working in a different way. I think it's um, it's it will be really good for me to get a game like that to the table in 2020 in terms of my like my DM skill set to have a game like that running ongoing uh, as well as the more crunchy tactical games like Pathfinder and Starfinder and Ash uh, that I run uh, normally on my channel. Um, in addition, I, it's really highlighted just how good uh, Star Trek Adventures is. Like Star Trek Adventures is very much a middle ground between story games and crunch games, and it is a great game. Really, really good. Um, we ran the first adventure um, over the course of about four sessions, and uh, from the uh, starter set, that is. And uh, I intend to return to that one as well, too. But even, even that like, has helped inform other skills and other ways of approaching things. And it's got me thinking of ways of throwing some of the more mechanically-minded story things in to uh, some of my more crunchy games, too. So, yeah, really good stuff. I mean, it, it's... Um, you know, variety is the spice of life, as they say, and I think that uh, not only that, it also makes for a more agile and uh, easily adaptable DM's brain for when players do crazy stuff and you want to make, um, you know, make an adventure out of their um, inventive, you know, flights of fancy. So, so yeah. So anyway, that's that's the the, the experience I've had recently. Um, if you haven't checked out these games, and and again, like just like my one of my players, it, it may not ever be your favorite game. You know, it may not be something that you want to run ever again. But even going through the process of understanding how to present that game and how to teach people how to play and then how to run that at the table, I think was really helpful. Even just to show a, a very different perspective on the gaming experience because it really is. You know, it's just, a, it's a very, it's got a different feel at the table, um, but still insanely fun as well too. And with plenty of stuff you can pillage to bring back to your more old school or more simulationist style games. That's that too. I mean, like I also ran GURPS, which is an incredibly simulationist game recently. And I fucking love that game too. And I, I'm, I'm adopt, I am really playing up some of the mechanics of that game that do have basically story focus. It's, it's story game stuff. Before there were story games, so anyway, so that's that episode uh, and uh, an argument uh, for building up, you know, for adopting, I guess, an approach of uh, muscle confusion for the DM brain. Let's make with the outro. So that's it for that episode. Um, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, uh, uh, please don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a voice message on Anchor. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. Uh, you can find me. Um, by email uh, at dungeon musings, sorry, dungeon musings at gmail.com is my email address. And you can also find us on the Dungeon Musings Discord server. Um, I don't know how to describe that link <laughs> in, uh, in audio format, but uh, what I can say is if you go to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, any of the uh, videos we've posted from the last, uh, God, uh, month or so, uh, have links in the descriptions of those videos to the Discord server. You can join us there. We've got uh, channels dedicated to, I mean, every one of the games we run, as well as some other games, and there's a great Looking for Group um, a channel that seems to be pretty active as well, with some great guys, or great folks, I should say, who are uh, uh, organizing, running, and playing games. Um, yeah, so it's uh, you're free to join us on there, and we can chat about uh, this or, uh, or anything else uh, as well. Um, uh, we also sold... Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, that is uh, sort of my, what I had to say about muscle confusion and, um, 
yeah, I mean, I what I can say is uh, just in closing is that uh, it, it's you know um, running the game definitely reading the game was was really really interesting as well. Running the game was such a, a really good uh, experience, which is not how I felt after some of the other story games I ran. And it could be because I've just grown as a DM. Uh, it could be because this is just a better fit for me. Um, who knows? But uh, bet you know uh, a better. Uh, you know, fit with the the players. Although I, I doubt that's the case because everybody I play with is a great player. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just for whatever the reason was, this really really clicked. I cannot wait to run uh, City of Mist again, and I am grateful for the lessons that it taught in how to improve uh, and uh, to make for some really interesting out of the box, uh, you know, thinking scenes for for my other games. So yeah. Anyway. Um, until next time, thanks again for listening and happy gaming.